0: Here we are again for another week of online worship. As long as the coronavirus is out there, we're going to be here and we're going to continue to do our best to provide for you encouragement and hope from God's book. And we hope that this is something that will help you during this time as well. It's amazing. We're only one week away from Resurrection Sunday. doesn't really even feel like it right now with the way things have been going. Uh, But it's a very important topic. It's a very important event that occurred in the history of our world. And so we go back to Mark chapter 15 this morning. Um, This has just been an incredible chapter if you've been with us the last couple of weeks. And it's filled with irony. Uh, all of these Gospels are different in how the writers decided to write. And Mark writes with a lot of irony. And this is a really bitter irony that we find here in that the cross represents the enthronement. It represents the glory of Christ. And so we left off last week, Jesus being crucified. This week, we come back to where we left off. And we find the climax of Mark's entire gospel. It's right here. And what we learn, and this again goes to this irony, is the fact that Jesus' life was remarkable, amazing, but Jesus' death is just as amazing. So, Jesus' end that we're going to see is not a tragedy. It is actually a glorious fulfillment of his destiny in coming to the earth. I want to welcome you being with us. I'm glad to have my friends with me. i got some new friends this week to join me, some new faces for all of you to see as well. And we're ready to to kick off and to get into our chapter for this morning. Somebody read for us verses 33 through 36. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried up with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is coming, Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Very good. Mark has been providing a a framework throughout this chapter. Last week in verse 25, we learned that Jesus is crucified the third hour. That's 9 a.m. in the morning. Now, what uh, was just read, we see there's this darkness that came over. And it came in the sixth hour, which is noon, until the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., And Mark doesn't tell us really anything that happens in between those three hours. But when we hit this ninth hour, this three o'clock in the afternoon, some major, very important things begin to happen. And one of the things that we notice is this famous saying where Jesus cries out, and Deja, you did a great job reading there, um, in the Aramaic, and, and that is, he asks, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's like, did God forsake Jesus? Did he do just as all the other disciples had done? And and he's left Jesus as well to die by himself. Now, there's, there's a lot of Uh, commentary out there. There's a lot of explanations from people who are much wiser than me, but I believe to really understand what Jesus says, I think we have to take it through the book of Psalm 22, because this is where Jesus quotes from. If you didn't know that, he quotes from Psalm 22 and in verse 1. Last week we mentioned Psalm 22, and we said this is a messianic psalm. And it um, is something that it speaks forward to Jesus' crucifixion. And throughout the New Testament, we find that three of the four direct quotations from this book and 14 of the 20 allusions or um, parallels to Psalm 22 are all found in the suffering and the crucifixion of Jesus. And we already saw last week... how how Psalm 22 is an important part of what's happening here. Uh, Last week, we made reference to verse 24 with the dividing of the garments by the soldiers. That comes from Psalm 22 and in verse 18. We looked at verse 29 where there was mocking and people shaking their heads. This comes right out of Psalm 22 and in verse 7. And now this week, we see this cry of forsakenness that also comes from the book of Psalm from that very... First verse. Now, one thing that we know is that this is the only prayer that Jesus prays that is not in his own words. And I, I think that is very significant. From Psalm 15, verse 20, through the rest of this gospel, it really follows the pattern of Psalm 22 in many uh, of its details. And I believe only when we get more of a grasp of the psalm can we really understand what Jesus is saying as he cries out in feeling of abandonment from God. Jesus is identifying with the righteous sufferer uh, of Psalm 22. He suffers without cause, just as Jesus. We know everyone else had forsaken the psalmist, just as everyone had forsaken Jesus. And like the psalmist, Jesus had felt as if he is dried up. He is feeling as if he is surrounded by these these animals, these wild animals, vicious, ready to tear him apart. And so both struggle, and both struggle with suffering while they're waiting for God's deliverance. But they also both have this intimate relationship with the Father, that they are able to go to the Father in complaint. Jesus put on our humanity. He suffered. He took everything that the world could throw at him. And, and what Jesus does is he calls out to God in prayer. That's how Jesus deals in this time, just this raw emotion to God. I think many in our world right now, and many of you who are tuning in with us this morning are feeling this sense of isolation. We are in a sense of isolation in, in a very literal form. Uh, some of you may feel like, you know, that God has abandoned you. Maybe, maybe you feel like, you know, where is God in the midst of everything that's going on around the globe right now? Uh, and, and it could be other things just going on in your life. And you feel as if you're in this time frame right now of darkness. It's just darkness uh, in your life at this particular time. And it's in these moments that we're sometimes tempted um, really to, to give up our faith in God. But Jesus cries out on the cross. As we said, in this raw emotion, in order to demonstrate a faith that will not let go of God, even if it means the worst kind of suffering. He laments from Psalm 22. It is a prayer, and it it concludes in this vision of hope. There is these expressions of trust and thanksgiving and confidence that Yahweh hears. I believe Jesus... While he has this absolute feeling of abandonment, I believe that he believed God is there and that he hears. Otherwise, I'm not sure why he is going to offer up a prayer if he doesn't believe that he's there. But here's what I want you to see as to what happens. Because he cries out in this prayer, and God answers him instantly. So let's now go back to our text in Mark 15. Let's read verses 37 through 39. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. This is all happening in the ninth hour. And if you remember what was read just a second ago, we realized the darkness goes from the sixth hour to the ninth hour in other words it's now the ninth hour the darkness is being lifted this feeling of separation is also over as as jesus as jesus breathes his last but we also know that god has not abandoned jesus in what is being said here just as the psalmist in fact psalm 22:24 he says for he is not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. And we notice some details in here. It says that the curtain of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. This is the curtain that would have gone into the Holy of Holies, representing the very presence uh, of God into his very glory of God. And, and so the veil, is, it, it's being torn away so that all humanity can now see and they can now experience God. So the death of Jesus is allowing people to enter into God's presence without this fear of, um, of, of God's wrath. Because our problem is sin. Jesus takes our sins to the cross, and sin is what alienates us. And by carrying our sins to the cross, he opens up a way to the Father. One of the things I want you to notice is the veil. It doesn't say that the veil is opened. It says it is torn. It is the exact same word that we find back at Jesus' baptism in chapter 1. It's a parallel of what's happening here. And if you remember that account, back in chapter 1, verse 10, Jesus comes up from the water, and he saw the heavens rip open, is what it says. And then there's the voice that comes from heaven that says, You are my beloved Son. The temple rips. It's torn apart that represents heaven. And then the centurion says, Truly. This is the Son of God. Just as Mark declared in his opening statement of this book in chapter 1 and verse 1. Son of God, that that is a title that we associate with Jesus, those of us who were raised in church, but but this is also a title that had been around for the Romans. This is what they referred to Caesar. Uh, And this is exactly who the centurion would have sworn his allegiance to. But here he is, and he bestows this title upon a Jew who has been executed. This is just shocking. Uh, This is a seasoned man of war. We have no indication whatsoever he had ever seen the miracles of Jesus or had heard the teachings of Jesus. And what's even more amazing is he becomes the very first human witness to confess Jesus is the Son of God and mean it. There was the voice from the clouds, and we know the demons also confessed that he is the Son of God, but it did not come from his disciples. It did not come from any relatives. it did not come from his, uh, from any of the Jews. Jesus had commanded the demons not to reveal that he is the Son of God. And at the Transfiguration we know that Peter, James and John they were, they were allowed to be there for Jesus' glory and, and to see him in his essence. And again, there was the voice from the cloud that says, this is my beloved son. But Jesus told them, don't tell anyone what you have seen and heard here until the resurrection. It didn't matter because they didn't understand. And the question is, why? Why didn't they understand? Because there was something that was missing. And what was missing in order to give them that comprehension is who Jesus is. Who is the son of God? Who wears that title? The Son of God is the one who gives his life a ransom for many. The cross reveals the Son of God. It reveals it in his rejection, his suffering, his death, that makes known the very triumph of God. Only at Golgotha can Jesus be truly known as God in disguise to those who will deny themselves and be willing to follow him in costly discipleship. But it's here. It's a Gentile's confession. A Gentile represents the nations other than Israel. And this is the one that is the climax of the Gospel of Mark, which celebrates the beginning of the fulfillment of Psalm 22, which says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he, who, and he rules over the nations. Mark was written to Gentiles. And despite the fact that Jesus came and he has a mission to the lost sheep of Israel, we, we see in the Gospel of Mark that he goes into the Gentile territory of Decapolis. And he heals this man who has, is filled with these demons. And then he goes on and, and he feeds the 4,000. He goes over this difficult terrain into uh, this area that is really Israel's greatest pagan enemy, which is uh, the, the Phoenicians. And he heals this woman's daughter because of her faith, who is a Gentile. And then he goes on and he he heals a deaf mute. The centurion, this this is not his first crucifixion that he's been to. But he sees something different in Jesus than he had seen in every other crucifixion that he had seen before this. Rome was a group of people and made up of leaders who forced people to submit. He saw a different kind of power on that cross When he saw Jesus die, he breathed his last, that's when he proclaims him the Son of God. What he saw there is the power of the cross, Jesus giving himself for others. We learn that faithful obedience to death can convert even the executioner. And don't you think that was important to Mark? Uh, and his the first readers they're being persecuted at this time, but don't let it be lost on them. This is for us. We realize that we too can um, that that we too can go before our world, um, but and win them over. But not by dominating them, not by demanding our rights, but through love and obedience to God. That is the power. Of the cross. It is being willing to sacrifice for humanity. In 1918, the Spanish flu epidemic um, just ran across our world, just as we're seeing uh, in the similar way with uh, the pandemic of our time. Uh, When it was all said and done, 700,000 Americans lost their lives. And some 50 million people around the world. And while everything started to close down, just as we're seeing right now in our state, in our country, around the world, churches found other ways to open up their doors. There was one, and it, this comes from a Christian magazine back in the day known as the Christian, uh, known as the Gospel Advocate, and it told of the Russell Street Church of Christ in Nashville. And where they, they became a makeshift or a temporary hospital because the city hospitals were turning people away. They didn't have room. Um, it, there were Christians that we learned that they were caring for the poor. They were feeding them and they were nursing them. We know that there were Christians who lost their lives because they were caring for those who were really fighting for their lives. And, and what we see is that people cared and people believed. And we're seeing this in our culture right now. We're seeing this with churches, with Christians all around the globe. Um, just this last, couple, um, this last week, I learned that in New York, there's a Christian group. They're known as Samaritan's Purse. And they set up an emergency-filled hospital in Central Park in New York, in order to care for the seriously ill with COVID-19. It is a 72-member disaster assistance team, and it's made up of doctors, nurses, and other um, medical personnel. There was another I learned this past week of a nurse in Oklahoma and she decided she's going to go to New York where there's a shortage of nurses and, and there's, there's a shortage of rooms. And in fact, you know, there's so many people dying and so fast. They have ice trucks outside of New York right now and, and because the morgues can't handle all the bodies. And you know, they don't have the supplies. And yet this woman, she goes there. She's, she is giving three weeks of her time in order to go and serve people over in this area, and this same woman also did the same. She went to an African hospital during the Ebola uh, outbreak, and you're like, who is this woman? She's a Christian. She is a Christian. Her name is Kimberly Langford, and she not only works as a nurse, she also worked for Oklahoma Christian University, and some of you may remember her husband. He came and spoke to us last year. Uh, His name is Ben Langford, And he not only preaches, he also works at Oklahoma Christian. And these are just people, and these are Christian groups that are trying to take up the cross that Jesus taught us to take up and to serve others and to be willing to give everything that we have in order to show the love and the care of God. Has God forsaken us? With all the suffering in in our world, I mean, is is God here? And, and I, I think there's something that I read this past week that, that I'm going to end on this morning that I believe will be of some help. It was written by John Mark Hicks on the pandemic. And he says, where is God? God is hanging on the cross. God did not avoid suffering, but chose it for our sakes. God loved us by participating in the suffering of the world. Jesus said, I came to give my life for the life of the world, to serve rather than be served. Where is God? God is present in the hungry, the prisoner, and the coronavirus patient on the ventilator. Jesus said, if you serve the least of these, you serve me. Where is God? God is acting through the health care worker, the volunteer, the social worker, the first responders, and pastoral care. Jesus said, whoever gives a cold, A cup of cold water in my name is my disciple. God is not absent, but hidden. Though hidden, God is made visible in Jesus, the suffering and those who follow Jesus. Where is God? Here. Present in the suffering with the sufferer as a sufferer. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for your son, who came and died for us so that we can come into your presence. Father, we pray for each and every one of us who are here and those who may not be your children. Father, help them to realize just what a wonderful and glorious thing and, and the sacrifice um, that was made in order for this to happen in our own lives. And, and Father, we pray for those of us who are your people and and we get down, and Father, we feel sometimes as if we're abandoned, and we wonder where all of this is going. Father, we just come to you, and we just ask for your continued strength and support during this time. And Father, help us, show us the way, lead us each day as, as we learn to take up our own crosses, and as we go out and we serve others. And Father, we just pray for all of those in our world right now who are suffering, people who are dealing with the loss of people that they love, whether it's through this coronavirus or whether it be through just death that enters our world every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.